This morning we're considering the story of Joseph. More than that, what it tells us about our Lord and about Jesus. And I remember as a teenager, my mother and father would often exclaim how incredibly blessed they felt to have a child that knew everything. I didn't remember it so much in my earlier childhood, but when I hit those teenage years, they were really thankful for that. A child that was always right, a child that already had all of the answers. Um, perhaps you were that teenager, perhaps you were that kid, perhaps uh, you are that now, perhaps you have teenagers and you're like, I feel that, I feel that. Um, my wife and I were talking about that as we were considering uh, the story of Joseph this morning. Uh, I was thinking how, well, to put it plainly, I couldn't help but think of how absolutely maddening it must have been to parent a sinless child. Think about that. How maddening it must have been to parent a sinless child. Like, sometimes as parents, we get overwhelmed because we're parenting little sinners. If that's a shock to any of you, that, that is part of the gospel story. Um, all of us have sinned. Um, but we parent sinners, but, but we are sinners, and so it's easy for us to identify with the things we're, our kids are struggling with, but... You imagine any time as a parent for Joseph with Jesus, any time he would have a, a, a difference or try to correct him, every single time it would be like, actually, you're, you're all-knowing. So, so I guess I'm wrong again. Or maybe to his brother, like, what, what, what would Jesus do in this situation? And so um, it was probably a, an interesting thing to, to parent a sinless child. But then, like, as we're climbing into this story, I want us to really see the humanity of it and see how, what a special thing it must have been to see the embodiment of sinlessness from the earliest ages and up. So I want us to keep those kind of dynamics in mind as we consider and explore how all that came about for Joseph uh, this morning. As, as we talk about Advent, there's one way to kind of get, get oriented is to think about Advent as this time that bridges a gap between two times. In the Old Testament, you could think of that as like promises that were made. And the New Testament would be the promises that were, that were kept or promises that were fulfilled. And those, those found their yes and they found their fulfillment in the Messiah, which is why Advent is a time of anticipation of a Messiah. You can think of a movie. Like in a movie, there's a main plot and then there are subplots. So as far as redemptive history is concerned, for us as we're thinking about how did Jesus go about saving humanity from their sins, there are all these subplots, there are prophets, there are priests, there are kings, there's, there's slavery, there's childlessness, but the main plot has always been that humanity has a sin problem for which we are awaiting a Messiah for forgiveness and for redemption. It's interesting when you look at the genealogy of Christ I thought about having our readers do like the entire genealogy and then I was like, I think everyone would hate me before the sermon began having to go through all those names. But, but there's every one of the names mentioned, uh, hard as they, some of them maybe to, to, uh, to communicate um, and, and pronounce, they're all really, really important names. And so just as you come to the end of this, this genealogy, you see like uh, Abiud, the father of Eli Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mat Matan, Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Joseph is the last male name 
in the list that is listed before Jesus in the genealogy of Christ, tracing all the way back to Abraham, yet somehow he's not even the most popular Joseph in Scripture. The reality is that he just doesn't get a whole lot of airtime. His role is important, but there's not a ton that is said about Joseph. But as we see here, Jesus is the rightful legal heir to the covenant promises associated with the Davidic throne and the Abrahamic seed through Joseph. His role is one that is important. So I want, just, I want us to consider the timeline from some other Gospels as we kind of unpack what happens in, in this little portion of, of the uh, Advent narrative. And I, I jokingly mentioned or named the sermon title, Joseph, Did You Know? We, we know the song, Mary, Did You Know? Well, she did. Joseph, not so much at this point. And so if, if we said, Joseph, did you know? It's like, not, not completely at this point. This was, a, this was an interesting moment. Mary had been visited by Gabriel in a dream and told that she would have the honor of being the virgin that would carry the Messiah. And this was something that had been anticipated. So this wasn't a totally foreign concept, but shocking that she was the one selected. And at one point she says, I'm a virgin, how can this be? And the angel says, with all things, all things are possible with God. And that's a really important detail that's gonna like hold everything together as we walk through this narrative, that with God, all things are possible possible. Upon hearing that Mary resolved to do God's will, she said, let it be done to me as as you have said. So Mary at that point was probably maybe like a month along as best we can tell, and then she went and spent a few months with Elizabeth. So that brings us back to sort of the setting in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 19. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So first we see that Joseph was betrothed to Mary. And betrothal is a little bit different than engagement. In our culture, we have people get engaged and then they get married. And if something bad happens in the engagement, they can just call it off and that's that. But in this culture, betrothal is actually a legally binding thing. And it's a time where the families are still working out the details of the marriage, but they are still chaste, but they're still considered husband and wife, and it would be through consummation that they would become finally married. So this betrothal was like a step above engagement for us, and it could only be ended by divorce. It's an important detail. Before they came together, Mary was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit, consider about four months along at this point as Joseph's being brought into the, the story. And we see that Joseph was a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, and he had resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, raise your hand if you've heard this story before. Okay, cool. We can, we can miss out on the drama of these stories that are so incredibly familiar. There is some serious weightiness and drama going on in these verses. We can become so familiar with these Christmas portions of Scripture that we can miss the weight of these moments. We can like, yeah, he was a just man, and he resolved to divorce her quietly. And, and we just kind of move on. But, but we're gonna, that's where we're stopping down this morning for a little bit. The, the weight of these moments. The birth of the Christ child is arguably the most anticipated event in human history. It was anticipated that Jesus would be born of a virgin. 
It was anticipated that he would be the offspring of Abraham. It was anticipated that he would be the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. It was anticipated that he would be born of a virgin. All, all these things have been anticipated. This is a, the most major moment in human history that has existed. And in the midst of all these prophecies, finding their fulfillment in Christ, God chooses to do something that is unexpected. He chooses the immaculate conception, and he chooses this, this virgin birth to occur in a culture where adultery is punishable by death, particularly stoning someone to death if they're guilty of adultery. I mean, just think, think about it. God could have chosen any time in history under any set of laws, and he chose that this is the moment, the, in the fullness of time, the plan he had from before he even created time, this is the moment. And she's, she's in this moment, Mary's in a moment where being guilty of adultery meant that you'd be stoned to death. The reality is that there's no way of professing a virgin to conceive a child without it being perceived as adultery. It would have been nearly impossible to convince anyone that the birth happened because of the Holy Spirit. And frankly, that includes Joseph, who we're talking about this morning. The ESV, the ESV study Bible says this about Joseph. Joseph intended to maintain his personal righteousness, yet he desired to show compassion even though Mary appeared to be an adulteress. Take that in. When Joseph heard that, when he looked at Mary, there was the concern that she had been unfaithful. Continue to climb into the story. Consider what this time of life would have been. This time of life would have been like two young kids betrothed to be married. Consider when you were engaged, that sort of late teens, early 20s era where like the world is before you and you've got all these plans and all this excitement and all of this anticipation. It's a time full of anticipation and plans, plans for the future, plans for traveling, plans for making a home, maybe eventually plans for children. And it's a really exciting time for these two young ones, for Mary and Joseph. And in one of those moments of expectation and future possibilities, this young betrothed virgin has to have a really hard discussion with her husband-to-be. We don't know exactly how it all played out, but we know that something happened to bring Joseph in on this. And it may have been that she came back from, Mary, from visiting Elizabeth, and maybe her tummy looked a little bit different. And maybe there was a question there that would lead to some kind of a conversation, but at some point, Mary had to say something along these lines to Joseph. Joseph, we need to talk. I'm pregnant. But it's not what you think. I'm still pure. The Lord has chosen me to carry the Messiah, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit. What would that have been like for Joseph to hear? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. That would have been dizzying. That would have been disorienting. He would have had a lot of the same questions in his mind that you would have in yours. He's just a dude. And so in this moment, I want you all to really climb in and consider what that must have felt like. He's an Israelite well aware of his heritage and God's plan for his people. 
He has been anticipating the Messiah his whole life with his dad and his granddad and the rest of his family. He's anticipated the Messiah, but none of this makes sense in the moment. He's just a normal guy who's keeping with the cultural expectations and norms of marriage. It's that time of life that his families have decided that he and Mary will be together. They're working through the details. And he gets a curveball. It's, it's unexpected. Scripture tells us that, that he's a good guy. It tells us that he is just. Specifically, he is unwilling to put Mary to shame, even though it seems she may have been guilty of a hurtful and even illegal act. But take this in. So for Joseph, he's saying a noble thing would be to divorce her quietly, but for his neighbor, the noble thing might be to stone her to death, which would not be good for Jesus either. So this, this is, a, this is a, a very, very heavy moment. So he's thinking through these things, and then as he's looking at her, it's like she doesn't seem to have changed. There's no part of her behavior that seems scandalous. She doesn't seem to have changed her patterns in, in her life. She actually seems very at peace. She seems like Mary to Joseph, still pure, but with child, just not Joseph's child, which I think leads us to our first point of the morning that there are some parts of your story that God will not tell you about until they're right upon you. There's some parts of your story that God doesn't tell you about. There are lots of things that we know, you know, as, as husbands, we know that we're to, to love our wives as Christ loved the church and to wash them with the water of the word. We know that we're not to, you know, provoke our children to anger. We know there's certain realities of each day that are supposed to happen, but that there's other things that happen. They're part of God's plan that we don't know about until we find ourselves right in the middle of it. Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in the mind of a, the man, of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You can imagine young Joseph got lots of plans. Oh man, we're going to get married. We're going to have a home. What? She's carrying the Messiah? I'm who? My role's going to, I'm going to be a dad like to Jesus? What? Like he, it, he's just in the moment. And, and, it, and it interrupts his plans because I'm sure there were many in his mind. Many of us have many plans for life, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God's purpose was shocking to Joseph in this moment. This made me think of Ecclesiastes 3.11. It's one of those verses that just kind of um, hurts my brain. And so I'm going to welcome y'all into that with me this morning in Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What that means is that God has put eternity into Joseph's heart. And he's put eternity into each of our hearts here this morning. And when you, when you unpack this verse, what you find is, is that what it means is that God has made you to want to know all that God has done and is going to do from the beginning to the end. 
God has put in each of our hearts to want to know all the details from beginning to end. What was it that happened before? What is going to happen now? God gave you a heart to want to know those kind of details. And then he gave you a heart that can't know those kind of details. Do you see the tension of that moment? That's what Joseph is feeling. He's looking at this situation and going, man, I want to know what is going to happen here. But God also gave him a heart so that he cannot know what is going to happen here. That means that God's created us with a desire, but an inability. God's created us with a desire to know all the things of life from the beginning to the end. To, to, he, we really want to know all that God has done, all that God is doing, but he also created us, though we have that desire, we have an inability to fulfill it. And you might ask, well, why? Why would God do that to Joseph? Why would God do that to us? And Ecclesiastes 12, 13 gives us an answer. It says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's almost like in the book of Acts where he says, you know, I've given you certain boundaries to where each of you live. I've, I've, pre, I've planned this far ahead of time. Each of you live where you live because I put you there and you have certain boundaries and certain times in which you will live and all that is so that you will perhaps feel your way toward me. That's what God's doing here. It is a scenario where he is bringing Joseph toward him, not pushing him away. He, he is making it so that Joseph would learn what it is to fear God and keep his commandments. So understandably, in this moment, Joseph needs a minute. Guys, have you ever had that? Where like, you get some new information, you're like, I'm just a guy, so my thoughts aren't always super clear at first, and I should probably keep my mouth shut before I express them. And I just need a minute. I, I need to go think about it, right? Jo that's where Joseph is right now. He's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a minute to consider what I just found out. What am I going to do in light of this information? And scripture says that he resolved to divorce her quietly. He resolved to divorce her quietly. It didn't say that he just considered it. It didn't say he just kind of tossed around the idea of divorce. It says he resolved to divorce her quietly. He resolved. His decision was made, it was resolute in his spirit, it was final. Can you imagine if the story ended with a divorce? That's where we're at in the narrative, climb into it. Can you imagine what it would have been like if, if it just ended with, his, with what seems to be this noble thing of just quietly divorcing her? The birth would have been scrutinized. Mary would have been a single mother if she lived to be a mother. Jesus would have been an abandoned young boy if he lived to be a young boy. Jesus would not have Joseph's genealogy, which we saw how important that was in the opening chapter of Matthew. Jesus would not have had Joseph's genealogy which connects him to Abraham and to David and to the covenant promises. Joseph was a just man. Joseph was by all accounts just a good guy, a good neighbor, not terroristic in the way that he lives. He's just a good dude. He's, a, he's an honorable Israelite, but in this moment he made his decision and it was wrong. 
good people can make bad decisions. And I'm putting good in quotes because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all of us were conceived in iniquity and brought forth in sin, but still you know what I'm talking about. Like there's people that you know and they're just good people. They're just good. They're generally easy to be around. They're reasonable. They're not irrational. They're not erratic. They're just kind of good salt of the earth people. But what we're finding here is it's not enough to just be good salt of the earth people. He's a good guy who made a really bad decision. So how and why was this a bad decision? Verses 20 through 21 say this. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If an angel of the Lord appears to you in a dream and says, do not be angry, then rest assured you are dealing with anger. What you have in that moment is an anger problem. If an angel of the Lord says, do not be angry, you can't be like, angel, you don't understand. It's like, no, do not be angry. If an angel of the Lord appears to you in a dream and says, do not be anxious, then what you're dealing with is anxiety. If an angel of the Lord appears to you in a dream and says, do not be jealous, what you're dealing with is jealousy. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For Joseph, his problem and his struggle was with fear. He made his decision, but the motivating factor in his resolved decision to divorce her quietly was fear, not faith. And we have to see that this morning. He was motivated by fear. I mean, even scripture says he, he was trying to do the right thing. He's a just guy. He was, he was trying to be, you know, be as upstanding as he could. He's going to be really quiet, even though he's divorcing her. He's going to do it quietly. But he was motivated by fear. Fear. Maybe fear of the future. Maybe fear of the unknown. Maybe fear of how it would look and how it would reflect on him. People might say, oh, he's naive. That's not how, how this happened. Maybe fear of what others would think. Maybe fear of just the unknown pain that this decision might bring. But rest assured, when the angel says, do not fear, we know that Joseph was being motivated by fear. Joseph made a bad decision because of fear. And alongside that, we can see that God's plans might make people doubt us or even question us. That's part of, the, part of this thing. He, he says that take up your cross daily. Like if they rejected Jesus, they'll reject you. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. That is the nature of life as we're waiting for Jesus to come back. We have the promise that lawlessness will increase, that the love of many will grow cold, and that the truth of the gospel for those who hate it and despise it will become more hated and more despised, all while other people are saying that smells like life. But rest assured, God's plan will mean that some people will question you and think you're crazy, and maybe try to incriminate you in ways that are completely untrue. And that's one of the things that Joseph was concerned with at this moment. He was being motivated by fear. So Joseph was fearful rather than faithful. 
looked like he was kind of being just a good dude, doing the right thing, but at the end of the day, he made a horrible decision that would have had horrible ramifications. And I want y'all to look at what God does. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In this moment where God could have come to Joseph and said, you resolve to do what? He doesn't. God brings his redemptive grace to Joseph. Just this, this guy that was trying to get it right and he made a really bad decision and God's grace is what he receives. God visits him in a dream. He sends the Gabriel <laughs> to, to tell him, hey, don't fear. Don't fear. This is my plan and I am trustworthy. And he redeems Joseph. God brings his redemptive grace to Joseph. If you feel like your bad decisions mean that you are damaged goods and you cannot be used by God, let this be an encouragement to you this morning. Joseph reverses his bad decision. If you still have a borrowed breath, God gives you the opportunity to repent of your bad decisions. He did as the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. And in fact, what we go on to see is God would go on to send the angel to visit Joseph in multiple dreams, warning him to flee to Egypt and then again to the northern country, avoiding the goal that King Herod and then King Herod's son had of killing the Messiah. Do y'all see the weight of this? Take this in. After resolving to abandon Mary, after resolving to abandon Jesus, God the Father entrusts Joseph with the role of earthly father of Jesus, and God the Father, because of his grace, entrusts Joseph with the role of keeping Jesus alive as an infant. That's a lot of trust for a guy who made a terrible decision. God entrusted Joseph with hundreds of miles of journeying to Egypt and back with a little infant, Jesus. God entrusted Joseph with the most important person to walk this earth before that person could walk. And when that person, Jesus, was in the most vulnerable state as an infant, God entrusted Joseph with the role of showing Jesus what it looked like to be an honorable Israelite who feared God. God entrusted Joseph with significant responsibility. But what we need to see this morning is that God trusts Joseph because God's in control, not Joseph. God trusts Joseph because God is in control. Remember, what God comforted Mary with through the angel. With God, all things are possible. Joseph had not made himself ready. Joseph hadn't had like that rocky moment where he went out into the wilderness and he got buff and he worked out and he lifted the tree trunks and he's like ready for the main event. It's not how it worked. Joseph did not get himself ready. Joseph had not turned over a new leaf, gotten his life together so that he could be used by God. God redeemed Joseph with his grace and used him to play a part in the preparation of the one who would save us from our sins and who would save Joseph from his sins. There would be a time where Jesus would forgive Joseph 
for resolving to divorce Mary. I mean, take it in. This is the work of God. God trusts Joseph not because he's trustworthy, but because God is in control. It's like the way that God loves us, not because we're particularly lovable, but because he's resolved to love us and he's in perfect control and nothing's impossible with him. Advent is a time of anticipation. I mean, the entire goal is we gather during this time of year and we go to the word of God. We are hoping that your soul is being quickened to anticipate the return of Jesus. Christ has come to earth. He has lived the perfect life. He's died in our place. He's taken the wrath, upon, the wrath of God upon himself so that we wouldn't have the wrath of God upon us. He conquered death, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now we anticipate his return, the time where he will come and make all things new, establishing a new heaven and a new earth, where he will dwell eternally with his people. Jesus is really coming back. He will really make us perfectly pure. He will separate our sins as far as the east is from the west. There will be no heartache. There will be no sadness. There will be no sickness. We, what we're anticipating is better than anything anybody's ever experienced. It's remarkable. And as we anticipate that, I want to encourage you, one, reckon with the reality that God will not tell you about every part of your story. Reckon with that reality ahead of time. Know that each day you will be facing things as we anticipate the return of Christ that you probably wouldn't have planned for yourself. Next, Reckon with the reality that bad decisions do not mean that you are damaged goods. The story of Joseph is such a beautiful picture of redemption. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, I've made some decisions. I feel like damaged goods. I feel like maybe before God could have used me for something, um, but now I'm not, I'm not so sure. The enemy is the one who tells you lies. Our God is a God of redemption. He offers opportunity for repentance and he makes us to where we can move in faith and not be governed by our fears or anxiety or any other things like that. God's plan for your life will cause others to doubt and question you at times. It's not just this easy road. He calls us to take up our cross and follow him and in those moments walk by faith and not by fear. And finally, God has entrusted each of you with good works. If you're a believer, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you have spiritual gifts, every single person. And they're meant to be used. And even, even beyond that, he has specific works that he has prepared ahead of time before you. Not because of how trustworthy you are, but because of how in control he is. Nothing is impossible with God. Part of the hope and the joy of Advent is this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, as we are currently anticipating the return of Jesus, there are some who are not. This is a crazy time of year where we can be distracted with any number of things, but don't be distracted by those who are around you who are lost. As we are anticipating the return of Christ, there are those who are separated from Christ, and without hope. Advent brings the reminder to us that God has prepared good works for us to walk in. 
that he might bring in others who will embrace Jesus. As you walk in your good works, God plans to bring in others who will put their entire faith and hope in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and for their restoration. And as they do so, they will join us in anticipating the return of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, it's incredibly humbling, even just climbing briefly into the story of Joseph, to be reminded of all that you are doing and all that you have been doing and all of the things that your providential hand is at work with that we have no clue about. But we do know that you're coming back. And so, Lord, as we anticipate your return, uh, my prayer this morning is that uh, you would quicken our hearts to, to really move in faith, to consider those that don't know you, to consider what good works you've given us to walk in from before you even created time. Lord, do with us what you did to Joseph. Draw us out of our fears. Draw us out of our, our lack of trust. Draw us out of our anxiety. Draw us out of our depression. Draw us out of whatever darkness we're holding on to and bring us into light that we might walk by faith and make your glory known to a lost world. Thank you, Lord, for your promises that we rest upon this morning knowing that Jesus is coming back. We love you and praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.